back. This is the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm Christian Lewis, and for this segment, I'm flying solo as your host. I'm joined here by Gareth and Dan, two members of the London-based band USA Nails. And to start this segment, we thought we would do what we always do with our interviews, um, which is uh, which is have people defend their year. So this is a segment that we did in our first episode, which is basically uh, a sort of friendly, competitive um, round in which you, you come forward with five albums uh, from the year you were born and explain, you know, why they're important to you and why you think they matter. It's basically your attempt to, to make the best case possible for uh, for that year being a great year in music. Um, so I think, Gareth, you... Uh, you were going to kick this off for us. Uh, yeah, yeah. I got. Uh, I, I was born in 1982. I, I was quite uh, uh, pleased to uh, see that there was such a lot of good music released in the year of my birth. I was quite surprised when I actually looked it up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, what shall I just go ahead and list them straight away? Or? Yeah. So start with uh, start with your number one. I mean, what was your favorite of these? Like, oh, my favorite out of all of them. Uh, I've got um, uh, an album by The Sound called All Fall Down. Uh, they were a post-punk band from, like, sort of southwest London area. Their third album was, which is this one, was not very well received publicly, and they weren't <laughs> they weren't that popular in the UK at all. They were more popular in the States and uh, and in Europe. But uh, and they're about they're about to have a career resurgence after uh, after this podcast airs, I think. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, so okay, that's so sort of sort of local. Something obviously you know meaningful to you guys and, and sort of influential for you, or is it just uh, just a favorite of yours? Yeah, I'd say it's influential, definitely. I mean, um, like yeah, they, they it's very sort of bleak, um, post punk, and I, I like bleak. So that's... I, we have that in common, actually. I think all of us uh, all of us on the on the who hosts this do as well um so okay well that's that's actually i have to say that's one that's uh that's kind of new for me so i'm looking forward to getting back and listening to that and when we put together the uh the playlist for this episode um which we'll do in consultation with you guys that's definitely gonna gonna feature on there so i'm excited about that uh what was uh okay so what were some of the others you so that was your favorite what did you have one that you thought was sort of what was the the biggest or the one that resonated best you know uh or you know had the I suppose sold the most records. Uh, well, uh, uh, so, well, okay. Um, I guess "Nineteen Ninety Nine by Prince was obviously yeah. That's a, a pretty good one. Pretty big one. Uh, <laughs> that that think, sold a couple copies, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think it might have been a bit of an underground hit, maybe. Yeah, was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, that's awesome. So, okay, I, I, yeah, of course, that was uh, that was eighty two, and that's um, that's I think particularly. Uh, particularly good pick this year for obvious reasons i mean we've we've sort of waxed on endlessly about uh about prince and sort of you know how how important that guy was but i mean when did you first hear him uh i remember being like i don't know just hearing him on the radio like in the car with my parents it's not one of the first sort of you know artists i was ever exposed to i suppose and yeah um so you know right from the very beginning i think yeah. For both of you guys, I mean, how do you think his music, I mean, obviously it's a, I think it's sort of a cross, uh, a cross genre influence. I mean, the guy was just such a hell of a performer, right? Mm, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, did you ever, uh, ever get a chance to see him? Uh, I was lucky enough to see him one time, yeah, in uh, a festival in... Oh, wow. Uh, 
Right, yeah, he but uh, it was in it was in a festival in Kent, oh, Hop Farm. But um, yeah, there was I mean there was not really anything I wanted to see that day, but sort of went down just to see him, and it was it was cracking. He played for two and a half hours, uh, uh, and it was amazing. Uh, uh, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, uh, one of the best things I've ever seen. I think it's fu- I mean it's funny that you say that because it really is. I mean, most of the people you will ask will say, you know, will list if they have seen Prince. It's sort of it's going to work its way into one of their top all-time shows. You know, yeah. um, I mean, the guy he was just such a hard worker, right? Uh, you know, um, really relentless on stage. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. I couldn't imagine playing for two and a half hours. Oh, I'm sure Matt probably couldn't imagine that either. <laughs> <laughs> He's had. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's uh, yeah. He's, he's he's the guy to draw the line. You may have to actually work in substitutes in that in that context, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Sort of get a rolling uh, rolling team of, uh, of of drummers to play through. So, um, I, but you know that was actually it's funny. We uh, you know going back and sort of reading all of the long form stuff that was written about him after he died last year. I mean, that was sort of the thing was everybody who worked with him said, yeah, he really did push us to be our best, but. I mean, sometimes that guy would call you at three o'clock in the morning and demand that you get down to the studio and you'd have these marathon sessions where you'd be recording and these guys were just exhausted all the time. So, so yeah. Okay. Great pick. Um, and then what were your, what were your other three? Just, uh, go ahead and, and keep, uh, keep moving. Well, yeah, I'm going to jump in here. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Uh, Obviously, well, Gareth didn't really let me know about it, <laughs> so I'm going to take um, one of his, which um, I quite like, which is um, Verses by Mission of Burma. It's um, a fantastic album. Obviously, we're born in different years, but I'll, I'll have that one. Yeah, you can have that. Also, yeah. one of my all-time favorites, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, what is it that you love about it? Um, well, just... Songs really that sounds yeah. pretty obvious, but um, I, I think compared as well to the following album, which named which uh, its name is Gave to Me, but it I think the, the first album versus captures them a bit more uh, in their sort of rawest, it's like heavier and noisier, and mm. and I think it's a bit more like what they actually are, uh, even though the, the second album is full of bangers, obviously, but um. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, actually, I, I would agree with you on that. I mean, I think there's a, like, I mean, everything to That's How I Escaped My Certain Fate and um, yeah, so. New Nails. Yeah, I mean, they're, uh, the, I guess their Signals, Calls, and Marches sort of became their, um, you know, massive uh, hit machine, right? Um, and weirdly enough, had a couple of songs that were, I guess, written by, written and performed or sung by, what, Clint Conley, I think, which was the, that's when I reached for my revolver and that sort of thing, which sort of had a slightly, I mean, it is, it's a little toned down for them, um, or a little bit more melodic, maybe. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, you have just really fierce, sort of ferocious stuff, I thought, on um, on, on verses, which which I love, so. Um, yeah. What are your favorite tracks on that? I think, yeah, that's how I scared my seventh fate is a, is a standout. Yeah, that's, that's probably my favorite. Yeah, yeah, I think sure. that's uh, yeah. We we at the uh, we were lucky enough to be asked to play with them when they came to London. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, see them sort of air through all those like classic numbers was was brilliant. Like yeah, it was uh, you know uh, not something I'll ever forget. I think. Yeah, no. 
that's uh, that's an that's an awesome experience actually. Uh, when I was when I was growing up in Washington D.C., saw them a couple times at the Black Cat here, which is a, a great venue, and then um, and then subsequently at the uh, one year at the Pitchfork Festival when they when they actually played, um, they played pretty much the entirety of uh, of signals, calls, and marches, um, which I guess they still do at a lot of their concerts. In fairness, um, but they're just they're yeah they're they're an awesome band to see perform, um, and. Also, uh, sort of a, I think, you know, it's like looking into your future, um, at least when it comes to tinnitus, uh, and I'm thinking, <laughs> I've probably been standing too close to wedge amps my entire life, so, um, but, no, that, that must have been an extraordinary experience. Have you, uh, where, where, uh, where did you say you played with those guys? Uh, it, it was a place called Electroworks. Electroworks in Angel. Which is, it's usually like a cyber goth club, I think. <laughs> Well, I think they do a lot of sort of different nights there. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but down in the basement, they've got all like, you know, like chains and neon black lights and all the stuff. And well, stuff. I, I wouldn't know about that. <laughs> but I, I, I heard. I've only been upstairs. I heard. Not that there's anything, nothing wrong with that. No, no. absolutely. Um, but, no, but it's, yeah, cool venue. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, not like. I think we were all quite surprised that they weren't playing in a bigger venue yeah. in in London. What was um, it about two fifty? Oh, that's, no, it's more than that probably. More like close to five or hundred, I would have thought. But yeah, I don't know. I was expecting them to play like much bigger places, like Brixton Academy or somewhere like that. Mm. Really. But, it's funny yeah. you say that because I've always had sort of the same uh, a, a similar impression of them, which is that I. I, I grouped them together with some huge bands from the 80s. Um, mm. And I'm not, and, you know, I, I guess, yeah, perhaps, I mean, because they play, I would have expected them at least to play sort of the 930 Club in D.C. or Webster Hall in, in New York. And, you know, they, they don't, they sort of play one step down from that, which I, I don't know whether that's personal preference or I, I would assume it's not. Um, so, but yeah. they had a, they had a pretty big resurgence with that new album they put out in 2004 or five. I think that was when they first got back together. I think the on-off on one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm. I'll be honest. I'm not as familiar with the yeah. with the with that one. But um, but yeah. Uh, I guess that was around the time. I don't know. I'm just trying to think about. And actually, the first time I heard of them was because I was really into Graham Coxon, who's a guitarist out of Blur, and on a solo album that he did, he covered covered a couple of their songs, and that was the first time that I. I heard of Mission of Burma, but yeah. Gotcha. Um, oh, interesting. That's uh, that's kind of a curious angle. In I was I was actually trying to figure out. We were all sort of discussing uh, discussing the band a couple of weeks ago, and I was trying to figure out how I'd heard of them. And I think it was something that was pushed off onto me by a record store owner um, as a kid. And I was sort of, oh man, these guys are incredible. So um, it was a good find. Uh, and so you have, I think, two more. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, well. I've got a few more listed, but I guess I have to pick a couple from them. But yeah, like I said, I was quite pleased with like <laughs> uh, with how many good albums came out in my year. But I guess Kate Bush, The Dreaming, is probably worth mentioning because yeah, because she is, despite recently coming out as a as a as a conservative, uh, you know, she's uh, <laughs> she. Uh, release some phenomenal music in her time so yeah this is uh this is the the one of the most like thoroughly british pop artists i can possibly imagine um mm. like it's just it, yeah it's so that's that's the that's the homer pick for you guys i guess 
Um, but uh, no, that's a that's a terrific. Um, it's a great album, uh, obviously. And what's you know, did you grow up listening to that, or sort of how did it come together? Uh, yeah, my uh, my dad was quite into the Kate Bush. I can't think why, but um, uh, yeah, he had a, like her video collection on VHS when I was young, and uh, it kind of I don't know. I guess me and my sister sort of just absorbed it, uh, and um, yeah. But I didn't I didn't like in my teenage years. I suppose I didn't really give her much time. But later on, I sort of sort of delved back in again, and yeah. Um, yeah, it's it does sort of come around, I think. I mean, there's a, uh, I mean, this is I actually find this is kind of true with a lot of the pop music that I listened to as a child, where you know I'll go through a period in my you know teens or or college where like I just sort of set all that stuff aside, um, you know, as I was exploring new genres and that kind of thing, uh, and then you know after sort of as I've gotten older, it's it you sort of it comes full circle again, and you you really start to appreciate. Um, uh, certain genres that you, you maybe didn't or you or you sort of pushed away, I think, for a period of time. I don't know. Did, what, did you guys have that same sort of experience? or? Yeah, definitely. I think I it took me a while to appreciate that some of the music that my dad used to play me was actually quite good. Like, he, you know, the first time I heard Kraftwerk or Fleetwood Mac was through him. And, like, you know, at the time, maybe I just thought, oh, this is sad dad music but <laughs> <laughs> my dad's taste Did you, yeah, divorce my music I think is what that's called <laughs> by the way yeah um, yeah I guess I didn't give it give give him the time that uh, for his give give yeah. um, you know take his music as seriously as I, I should have done but, yeah. yeah no it's but it's nice to be I mean it's still it's sort of a uh, it's nice to be able to dive into that stuff later you know um I think you'll just sort of carry it around with you forever, and then and then you'll realize, oh wow, actually this isn't so bad, um, you know. And there's there's a lot more to this, and, and a lot of depth there. So, um, okay, so Kate Bush was one, and then uh, I think what was the uh, what was what was five for you guys? Or the, the last one? Uh, was that Yazoo? No, <laughs> Yazoo was close, but it didn't make it into my top five. I'm going to say um, uh, Spring Session M by Missing Persons, which is a record that I've only really uh, started, well, listened to for the first time in the last sort of five years. But uh, it's it's horrifically pop rock music, but it's I just love the the songwriting on it, and uh, and it's also like because I guess it's a bunch of the guys out of Frank Zappa's old band, like the sort of the music is incredible for it i think and i think there's a lot of craft in it which is uh which is quite understated but i uh but i but obviously i i, I see the value in it uh <laughs> being as clever as i am and all that but uh no it's, uh, no, it's it's a really good i just think it's a really good straight up like synthy poppy no new wavy sort of record even though it's kind of horrific and day glow at the same time yeah definitely one of those it's you know it's it's very um i i don't i say dated but not in a bad way you know it's just it's like that you hear it and you it just attaches itself to a time and place um there's no mistaking that so yeah um but uh but definitely yeah very you know very cool sort of uh synth poppy new wave uh new wave record for sure 
Okay, so you guys have been uh, been together for as a as a band for how long? Yeah, something like that. Three and a half years. Okay, and I, you know, you you obviously all came from uh, came from a variety of different backgrounds, but but also, you know, what four other bands in the uh, sort of in that scene or in the world of, of London uh, London punk. Sort of, yeah. I mean, well, Steve and Matt are from up north, but they uh, they moved down. Yeah, and... but you know, I guess like the UK, all in all, I mean, the scene is quite small i mean it's not a very big country so we all we all knew of each other's bands and everything but yeah when they moved down that's when obviously when it all came together gotcha and you guys had toured and played with each other before or how did the well i've known gareth quite a while actually yeah just from going to meeting gigs and stuff and you know i don't think we actually played a show together in different bands i don't maybe yeah but we we jammed like like in when trying to put together other bands like years and years ago, but yeah. nothing ever came from it. Mm. Uh, but so yeah, you just, you just go, you just meet up at different sort of like DIY nights and stuff like that. Yeah, and, yeah. I didn't. I don't think either of us knew Matt and Steve that well before no. we sort of got everything together. But it was kind of I know I knew of Matt and I'd seen him play in his former bands and thought he was an incredible drummer so mm, yeah. just I sort of half knew him got in touch and he was like oh my mate Steve would be interested he was in this band called Kong and it's like oh shit of course I know Kong they're, yeah. they're mint so yeah that, that sounds good so they all just came together quite um, quickly actually well so one of the things I'm sort of interested in is so you guys are both did, did you both grow up around London or uh, I I did well yeah sort of just in the, in the suburbs on the outskirts, I guess, but I, I grew up a bit further out than um, okay. So, where, uh, whereabouts in the suburbs? I'm uh, I lived over there for a while up in um, northwest London, uh, but just sort of curious was it, a, was it a particularly musical part of town or like a cool part of town? I mean, it's, it's a huge place, so it's sort of it can be very like you can be far away from the music scene, I thought, or you know, you can be sort of in it in east, uh, you know, northeast London. Yeah, I think where I grew up. It, it's like it's a cultural black hole pretty much there's <laughs> nothing interesting there at all it's uh it's really really dry like i th- in recent years in fact just today i saw like uh some tour listings and like there, there are bands playing in town that come up with so it's called epsom it's where it's not really famous for anything oh uh, there's oh there's a race course there and there's like the queen goes there every year to watch horses like race but it's if you're not interested in racehorses, then you probably wouldn't have ever heard of it. But yeah. <laughs> it's, it's in uh, like Surrey. Yeah, it's like okay. North Surrey. Like, yeah. but I mean, yeah, there was there was nothing to tap into. Uh, and then maybe that's I don't know. Maybe because it wasn't so easily available. Uh, I guess maybe that was uh, something that pushed me into. Wanting to explore the arts a little bit more, I don't know. And so, would you? I mean, as a kid, would you travel out to? Um, you know, would you travel over to uh, to see shows, places, or was it something? You know, was it much more localized than that? I mean, it seems like you can, you know, from one side of London to the other, it takes a while to get there. So I'm just, I'm sort of curious. Basically, what I'm getting at is like, you know, what were the formative sort of influences for you when you were like teenagers and and um, 
you know, how are you hearing your music? Were you listening to it uh, just with friends or record stores or um, actually seeing gigs and that kind of stuff? I think for me it was definitely... Um, because I went through a load of instruments like when I was really young and then like never really settled on it and I've always found it like really boring and then I think when I was sort of hitting that age of around 14 where you're starting to discover music you actually like and then you know a friend asked if I played the bass I think and, he, and all of a sudden I was in a band with him and then no drummer or anything but it didn't matter. And, but, um, but did you come down to London for gigs? Well, I was so. going to say, um, only when I got my driving licence, I think. Really? Yeah, started heading down to London yeah. to I, some shows. I was lucky. I mean, you can get trains from Epsom yeah. into, into town, and you can, you know, I could... Like, the first few shows that I went to were, like, you know, bigger things. I went to see, uh, like, Radiohead at Wembley Arena and, and stuff like that at... And, but even from Wembley, which is the other side of the city, you can get back to Epsom pretty easily. So I, I guess I was lucky to be able to get into town to see stuff like that. But, um, yeah. Uh, was that a good show? I mean, they, they obviously, you know, they're, uh, I think uh, a sort of staple uh, favorite of, of a, a lot of people who, um, you know, in and around, who work in and around music. Um, yeah. Not a hugely polarizing band in that sense, but... Yeah, was it a good performance? That sounds like it would be a lot of fun. It was good. I mean, like, Wembley Arena is like an aircraft hangar, and, and we were kind of sitting Exactly. And, uh, and uh, it, no, it was good. And, like, because, I, you know, I was, like, what, 13, 14 at the time. Like, I was, yeah, I was blown away by it. And, uh, um, uh, in fact, I think uh, DJ Shadow was supporting as well. Oh, really? Uh, and even though I went on to... Later in life, to be really into him, I thought he was terrible. <laughs> but actually, on reflection, he was probably, you know, more interesting, I guess. But, so uh, this is your you're throwing down the gauntlet and starting starting your beef publicly with DJ Shadow here. Uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> really bothered about. That. Should call him out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, yeah. No, I no, I think DJ Shadow is good. It's fine. It's, it's, no beef. it's all right, DJ Shadow. Don't. <laughs> don't come after me yeah um and so okay um well the other you know who were uh, who were some of your favorites and you know what, when you guys started playing music like what were your what were your big influences i mean was it mostly local stuff or was it bigger and and broader than that um well i'd say i don't know you feed off other bands you sort of play with us more in, in the sort of scene yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, um, going to gigs and stuff. But then, um, I guess as I get older, like, my tastes have sort of regressed back through the years, sort of from, like, more noise rock orientated bands. Like, you know, I was quite late into getting into, like, Jesus Living and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. yeah, so it was kind of, of that ilk. And then, I guess when you came to me and was talking about starting this band, you were reading off some of the bands like yeah I get uh, yeah <laughs> I I think when when I was really young and started to play in bands I didn't there wasn't it didn't feel like there was that much community in it or there was a lot of sort of pay to play kind of shows and it wasn't really there wasn't much to be inspired by but I think the a few there was a bunch of bands that 
like quite a few bands that came together in London, and that's sort of how me and Dan sort of really started to hang out together, was because we would see each other at these shows, like, and uh, they they built they started a label called Rip This Joint, and it was and loads of bands would pile in and sort of put on nights together, and yeah, all the money in the door goes to bands. Yeah, and it, stuff was, it was all very sort of uh, DIY, and it and suddenly started being surrounded by like-minded bands like not just in not just musically but in the way that they approach things and that from that point it was definitely took a lot more inspiration from the people around us mm. rather than like from you know uh, from bigger bands yeah or trying to try and play a, a bigger sort of venue where you know you'd have to get x amount of people in and sell them yeah. tickets and stuff it was really like such a bit of a weird way of doing things. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and that I think. Yeah, it really opened my eyes. Got off really. Yeah, getting. Yeah, I think that sounds. I mean, there's there's definitely. Uh, I mean, that sounds pretty familiar. So I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, live in live in Brooklyn and in Williamsburg, and there is you know there is a pretty strong sort of DIY scene, and, and I think one of the best uh, you know one of the best features of that is definitely sort of the like the fact that it you know it, it sort of forces. Band, you know, different different lineups of bands playing together all the time, and um, you know, it's sort of there's a creative destruction sort of element to it, where like uh, there's a lot of churn, and everybody sort of gets to know everybody pretty well, um, which uh, you know, which definitely has, I think, sort of uh, it seems to have a, a really positive effect on you know everybody's sort of creativity there. So. That's a good segue uh, over to. I, I wanted to ask you about your your um, latest uh, latest album, is No Pleasure, um, which uh, which was the first thing I'd heard by you guys, and, and I sort of wanted to, to you know ask you sort of how it came together and, and sort of inspirations for it. But um, you know, I think it's uh, I think it's really terrific. 
um, and you know was was just sort of excited to to you know uh, discover a, a a group that sort of sounded like it, it fit into the vein of you know the the music I love so much, um, but uh, but you know from over in the UK and it sort of turned me on to I think a a, a bigger uh, a, a bigger trend or a bigger scene that that's going on in London right now which I think is really really pretty exciting. So um, what was uh, yeah talk to me a little bit about sort of where that came from and and what you were going for. Well, I'd say the with no pleasure it's because it's um I think that that was when sort of because with with uh, Sonic Moist our first album like Stu who was second guitarist he, yeah. he he brought a lot to the table in terms of um like riff ideas and stuff so a lot of the you can tell you can hear quite I think you can hear quite a difference in like songwriting between the two because with no pleasure that's when Steve sort of took on guitar duties and started yeah he still sort of started contributing a lot more material so it had uh it has a different feel to it but I feel like the way we approached it was kind of a similar way we wrote very quickly um tried to bash out a song every rehearsal or uh even more Mm. uh and just wow um, that's a pretty. Uh, that's a pretty fast clip, yeah. Yeah, um, I think all of us were sort of in bands before who would agonise over uh, over writing for ages and ages, um, and it was quite nice to be able to do a band where the creative process was much more um, uh, well was different and gave you much more immediate results. Uh, so we just tried to trust our instincts on, on it and I guess, yeah, maybe we, we did channel a lot of the things that we were listening to at the time. Mm. But, um, uh, but yeah, I think on the whole it came out good. I mean, we wrote enough stuff to be able to record extra songs and then ditch them if we didn't, you know, they didn't yeah. quite come out how we liked them. So, um, but yeah, it all... It all it was all quite organic. None, not of it is really planned. We, nobody really pre-writes anything and brings it to rehearsal or anything. It just all happens in the room, like yeah. when we're there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so. And so, start to finish, how long? Uh, how long did it take to, to come together? To write it. Um, Once. Yeah, I don't know. Well, let me think. So, I mean, we'd started writing it before the first album had even been released um, there was about a year between um, recording Sonic Moist and then finding someone to put it out uh, so we pretty much I think I think we recorded it a couple of months after Sonic Moist came out maybe it was so yeah maybe I don't know six months maybe something like that we, we had it all written and, and ready to go I think um, and so you've been pretty consistently. So you've been touring that album since. Um, and sort of, what's uh, what? What do you guys have going on in your in your future? Are you back uh, thinking about writing or um, sort of moving toward a, a new album this year? Yeah, we've got a third album coming out in. It'll be in in the summer. Summer. Yeah. Early summer. Early summer. Uh, we've also got an EP coming out, maybe before, maybe after yeah. that. I'm not sure. So no. Guano Records, yeah, and I think our album's coming out on. Are we allowed to say oh. that? Yeah. Oh right, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know. It's yeah, but the, the album is definitely coming out in the summer. But I think we're not allowed to say who's putting it out yet. 
some gotcha. city. Well, hero. we can um, we can uh, we can strike that. Um, so no worries. Um, but uh, or actually, I think it'll be it'll be much more interesting if we just sort of bleep it out um, and uh, really really create the suspense there. So, um, but no, that's exciting. So you guys, so you've actually got two things coming out simultaneously, or more or less, or pretty close. Yeah. 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 So and we got a European tour. Yeah, we we're doing a end of May into June. Yeah, we 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 booking just finishing off booking a tour in, in continental Europe. Uh, uh, yeah. Will that be the last one because uh because you will no longer be allowed to go there after uh after <laughs> Yeah, good question. Uh, <laughs> or at least I, you'll have to get in the really long annoying immigration line at the airport. Okay. Yeah. I don't know, to be honest, like with all the the crap that's gone with that, it's going to be years before any any laws actually change. So hopefully we'll manage to squeeze in a few more before. Or people just sort of forget about it. And, yeah. <laughs> and, um, no, that's uh, so okay. Are, and are you guys uh, planning on coming? Out? Have you played the states before? I mean, of course. I, I actually wanted to ask you about your name uh, earlier um, and sort of where that came from. Uh, I, I like. I think it sounds it's a awesome sounding name, but I, I sort of didn't know what the background was. Uh, it, this, uh, it, the name, uh, when we were throwing around names, like, at the beginning, it was the first thing that someone suggested that nobody hated, so... That's a good uh, way to do it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, none of us were particularly enamoured with it, but it was like, yeah, it's fine, nobody, it's <laughs> terrible, so let's go with it, but it's it's the name of a, of a nail parlour on the Kingsland Road, which is... Uh, Mare Street. On Mare Street, sorry, which is in Hackney, near where... Most folks live. Sorry, yeah. So go there. Go there to get your. <laughs> it's good. I'm sure that the kind products. of people that are listening to this podcast would also be the kind of people that want to go to a nail parlor, right? That are yeah, that are right around the corner already, and so they're, yeah, um, yeah. Um, but uh, but it's so that's funny. I mean, I, now I'm now I'm starting to think there's some uh, there's some like weird trend of British bands that basically pick local. Uh, uh, local businesses um, as the as the source of their name because I was watching this supersonic like Oasis documentary a couple of weeks ago, um, which is pretty good if you haven't checked it out. Uh, it's it's sort of fun watching their meteoric rise and then their brotherly bickering until they uh, <laughs> until they split. But um, but yeah, they were basically you know their name obviously came from the fact they're sort of everything was it was Oasis this and Oasis that Oasis kebab Oasis nails. Um, really, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't I... either. I was actually really surprised. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, so the same format, I guess, uh, I guess inspired you guys. And do you actually, have, do you have plans to come to the U S at some point or? We, um, we would love to, but I think logistically it's, yeah. it's almost impossible. I mean, not only is it like, I don't like the, the cost of getting out there and also like to do it legally, you've got to. The, I think the visas, the artist visas, cost a ridiculous amount of money. Oh, really? Do it illegally. What's that? You could just do it illegally. I know you a lot can of do it illegally, but then you, I've heard, I've heard horror stories. And I, I can't remember what this Scottish band went over, and they, they, it was all they were all doing it legally, but the way they were managing to do it without getting the visas was they were they were not getting paid for any shows. Oh it, yeah. One of the shows was a, like a donation thing, and then so they got turned back at customs when the the, the, the right. officials looked into it and stuff. And you hear stuff about. I had a friend, some friends go over on the sly and, and tour over there, and they took no gear at all, and uh, uh, and the guitarist had like a pick in his wallet, and the 
and like the customs officer, like like when he was going through his stuff, it was like, what, what's this? Are you in a band? Are you? And he's like, yeah. are you coming to play over here? Jeez, like, uh, <laughs> but like just having a guitar pick in his in his wallet, like so. I, I've, but then on the other hand, I've heard of bands just going over there and not having any trouble getting. But I don't know. It, it would involve quite a lot of planning and a lot of money that we probably don't have at the moment. But, well, uh, let's yeah, let's uh, let's wait till this this new album comes out, and then I mean, it's obviously. Are you, is there a U.S. Uh, U.S. distribution, and hopefully it gets uh, picks up and catches some press over here? Um, I, I don't think there's any sort of U.S. distributor for it, Why not? but if uh, well, streaming hey, services uh, these days. Oh uh, yeah, well, obviously it'll be yeah, for the, but um, the physical, I think it will be. Yeah, I think it'll be a bit trickier. Excellent. Well, that's uh, so. That's coming up this summer. Um, I think we're definitely looking forward to it. And is there anything else uh, on your radar that you guys are looking forward to right now? You've uh, you said when does the Europeans tour kick off? Uh, it's the tw- tw- first date is twenty seventh of May. Yeah, uh, it's only like eight shows. Eight shows. Yeah, um, but it- it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, and uh, we're playing a bunch of cities that we haven't played before, so it'll be yeah. Um, it'll be cool. Uh, well, that's great. Thank you guys so much for uh, for joining us on the podcast, and uh, everybody should check out USA Nails, um, uh, Sonic Moist, um, and No Pleasure, and uh, and their upcoming album this uh, this summer as well, um, which I think we're all looking forward to. Cool. Thanks right, for cool. Yes. Yeah. That's it for today's episode of the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and drop us a line at brotherpod.com. Thanks very much to Damien Kendall for producing, and from Wyndham, Jeremy, and Christian, see you next time.